We're at Romans chapter 2, verse 16, the continuation of 15. 15, we'll go over quickly. It shows the work of the law, the Gentiles, was written in their hearts. God put the inner law in a person until he sears his conscience or sins against his conscience. He's without excuse. See, every man has grace. Every man will be dealt with justly. No one's going to be judged and sentenced to hell because they didn't hear the gospel. It's because they didn't obey the gospel when they heard it. That's what's going to get them. But those who've never heard the gospel and never had opportunity in some faraway land, you won't probably find that in America or Europe because they've got availability and Bibles everywhere. And if they were hungry for the truth, they could avail themselves and try to seek the Lord. The scripture says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. Jeremiah says that. And then Hebrews says, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the responsibility lays on the person. God gives grace at all various levels, and he cannot judge a person properly in justice and holiness if the person is not accountable and has sinned against the light and the knowledge that he's had. So a lot of foolish teachers out there saying, oh, we got to get these people saved. they all good people going to hell because they haven't heard the gospel. That's a lying gospel. There ain't no gospel of Christ. That's a predestinated election false gospel. That's what it is. A license to send one, I'll add to it. And so he said they instinctively, now isn't it interesting, he uses the word, all the animals and everything, they have various laws put in their nature, and they do things instinctively. The birds know how to build nests. The bees know how to make honey and build hive. All these things they do by an inner law without thinking. They can move within a certain frame, but all in all, they work by instinct. And so he's saying that God put in man an instinct, an inner law, that he knows right from wrong when it comes to moral judgments. Now, he's not talking about ceremonies and rituals. He's talking about the conscience. So the commandments, even to the Gentiles, other than the Sabbath day keeping, Gentile, a righteous Gentile would keep them instinctively. He knows it's wrong to murder. He won't steal. His conscience would bother him. He doesn't lie. He doesn't commit adultery. He knows these things until he sins against his conscience and hardens it, and then demonic powers can enter in. But that's not how it starts off. So the heavens declare God's glory. Man's conscience reveals it. And then the law and ultimately the gospel were further truths. They were revealing the complete truths so God started off at a lower level. He winked at the Gentiles. They didn't know certain things. He didn't wink at the Jews that had the law. He punished them greatly for things they did. But he makes allowances according to the light the person's been given or the light that's available. Now, see, that's where many people get off. Oh, well, I haven't heard the true gospel, or I haven't read this. You know what Jesus said? He said, men, he's talking about as a whole, love darkness rather than light. 
They love sin rather than truth, and they will not come to the light unless they be reproved. So many and most people, they really don't want the real truth if it's going to cost them anything. But they have the power to make decisions and to choose to come to the light if they want to be corrected, if they want to live right. So they're without excuse, see? So they won't be able to say, well, I didn't hear that. I didn't, because that's irregardless. If you heard it, you wouldn't have come to it anyway because you already revealed your wicked heart. See, you're like a, a roach. They avoid the light. And you're supposed to be more like a moth that is drawn by the light. So we can see that no one's going to be excused before God, and he'll judge in righteousness. And even Abraham, when God said, I'm going to go down, and he sent the angels, and I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham said, well, you can't. Isn't that interesting? Abraham said, you can't destroy the righteous with the wicked. And see, he thought there might be 50 or 40. <laughs> there was only one, and that was Lot. So God did destroy him. But even Abraham knew God's nature enough to say, you can't destroy the good with the bad. He didn't say, well, all have sinned and come short the glory of God. He wasn't talking about the principle of sin. We'll find that everybody will need a savior, even the righteous and the good. They walk according to the light and they fail at times. And so their sin must be removed or they will stay a sinner. No man it lives, has never sinned except for Christ. Even the righteous prophets made mistakes, and did, but see, they repented. They didn't live. Even Job, who was living probably during Jacob and Joseph time, he was from one of the Arab countries, and he didn't have the law. None of them did, but he knew God Almighty, and God himself bragged to the devil and said, there's none like him in all the earth. He's saying, Jacob's not like him. Joseph, they're not like him. It meant as far as personal righteousness, he was better than anybody. Now, they were entering a covenant, and that was fine. David, the Jew highly admired David. Now, we know of David and his sins and failures and his repentance. But when the list of kings is going, Josiah, I think that's his name, the person writing it said there was no king like him. Before or after, he superseded David in righteousness. In his personal life, that's what it was talking about, and his loyalty to the Lord. But David was given promises and covenants, and he was punished for his sins greatly. But I thought, it is astounding. A person we never hear much about, and that's why Jesus said, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first, who we consider so Great. God says, oh, you don't know everybody. You don't know people like I do. Remember the prophet Samuel, when he was going to appoint a king to replace Saul, when he saw Jesse's sons, his six, seven, eight sons, three of them were soldiers. And when they passed before him, the prophet said this. He said, oh, surely in his head, he said, this is the one God. Why? Because he was strong. He was a soldier. And the Lord reproved him quickly and said, a man looks at the outward. God looks at the inward. And God ends up choosing a 17, 18-year-old boy. So we see that even the prophets, they were wrong at times. They didn't have the wisdom or knowledge 
that God had. So they have instinctively uh, inner law. It's in their conscience. God's put in every human that is normal, that is not retarded or brain dead, has other problems, okay? And it will excuse or bear witness to what he's doing. If he proceeds to do something, what we call a gross sin, his conscience will start to warn him. And he can sin against it or he can obey it. And that's how God, in his final judgments, he will judge them under a lesser law. But ultimately, everything comes and is covered through Christ's blood. All man's sins and any covenant, any level of grace, we need a Savior. And that's what he wanted to teach us. So in 16, it says, on the day, the judgment day, basically, according to my gospel, he calls it my gospel. It's called the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God, the gospel of grace. There's several terms used. It says, God will judge the secrets of men's hearts through Christ Jesus. See, he will be part of the judgment. People think, well, he don't judge at the white throne. He most certainly does. It says the Almighty will judge, and the Scripture calls him the Almighty. He's one with the Father and one with the Spirit. There's only one throne in heaven. There are not many. And he says, I have the Father's throne. So he promises. So all judgment is committed to the Son of Man because he lived humanity. He understands both sides. He represents God. He's returned to his glory, so he is a part of the Godhead. He will be the judge. And all motives and intents of hearts of people, he will see. As God, he sees all of this and knows everything. So it says he's going to judge them on that day. Okay, He has the right through his holiness and his justice and goodness he will make a decision on righteousness and wickedness. He will decide which ones pass the test and which ones don't. And he's already told us we could say the rules. You have to play by his rules. There was the law of Moses. Now for the Christian, true Christian, there's the law of Christ. And those who are led of the Spirit, the Scripture says, these are the sons of God. It didn't say those who believe Jesus died on the cross. That's just part of it. It didn't say those who confess Jesus as Lord. Why, the multitudes that he consigns to hell, he says, I never knew you, and they're saying, Lord, Lord. They believe he is the Lord. The devils believe he is and tremble, but it's not going to save them. It's the ones who follow the Lord. As Jesus himself said, don't call me, or why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? See, he doesn't recognize that he's your Lord if you don't follow him. So that's the principles. So at Judgment Day, Jesus Christ will judge in God's place as God. You'll find the unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible also says that I and the Father are one. And then Paul does say, and the Spirit of the Lord. He said the Lord is that Spirit. Jesus is the Holy Spirit, one with him. There's no distinction as people sometimes like to divide too far, as if there's three separate people. There's the one God, 
and he manifests himself in what we call persons. And we fully still don't understand that. And God doesn't see fit to explain some of these things. They're beyond us in the level that we are. We're not capable of receiving and understanding certain things. You can't talk to a worm on the ground about algebra. I don't think he would understand it, okay? And so that's sort of how God is with man sometimes. Things are too far beyond his comprehension. So we'll see whatever the rules were, whether it was under the patriarchs, the conscience, the law, the gospel, God watches the conscience and all, and even in the Christian, he must maintain a good conscience. He can defile his conscience and start to believe a lie. See, so Paul said, I maintain a good conscience. I always keep a good conscience. So he did not harden or deceive his conscience on any matters. Many people do. They're satisfied with their religion. They go to church once or twice a week. They put a little money in. They sing a couple of songs, and they think, well, I've done my duty to God. Uh, they're going to find out it's not so. And they're going to find out that they'll get a greater punishment because they should have known better. Okay? So we see this, that many will have the laws and the gospel, the Moses law, and will not make it. And some of the Gentiles who had no law of Moses or the gospel will make it because God sets the standard. And in every covenant, God makes allowances. He does not expect perfection. In the law, that's why he had sacrifices. But certain sins, they were not to be forgiven. Murder, blasphemy, idolatry. God said, you drag them away from my altar and stone them. So even under every covenant, the covenant of Christ, you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit and never have forgiveness. So each law has its limits, but that's why we have a high priest. And it's interesting that people don't like to quote it right, but John says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. It doesn't say when we sin. Now we know as a whole we can fail, but God says, I've provided Christ in you and you don't have to willfully rebel and sin against me. And people think, well, I'm going to sin anyway, and blah, blah, blah. Well, you're going to be in trouble one day for being deceived, because the Spirit of Christ is not going to dwell in you, and he'll see that you're deceived if you proceed in wickedness, okay? So we see what many believe today, most believe the so-called mental ascent gospel, and they're not saved. Two billion people, and most of them don't know the Lord. And they will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, you're evil, you're wicked sinners. But we did this in your name. We were teaching and we gave. He doesn't even answer them. See, all of their so-called good deeds don't amount to nothing to God if you're disobedient and rebellious. The law said the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to God. They think they're going to ease their conscience by doing a little good to make up. It don't work that way. James said, if you break the law, the royal law, if you, you've broken one commandment, he says, you've broken them all. See, he's dealing with the principle. You can be an honest, forthright 
person. You can be good. You can give lots of money. You can read your Bible an hour a day. You can do all these things, and you can be having an affair, and that'll send you to hell. See, you've broken the whole law. That's the point. Man's beliefs are different than God's. He's perverted in his thinking. Sin has poisoned his mind and his spirit, so he often cannot see the way God sees. He is his own judge. I've had many people tell me, well, I do good and bad, and I hope my good outweighs my bad, and I tell them it won't. If that's what you're basing the judgment on, you're in trouble, okay? So the Bible says many are called, but few chosen. The call to God can be initially the glories of nature, the conscience that God's given, the inner law, or the gospel of Christ. Some less, some more grace. When the Antichrist is defeated after tribulation periods, those that come with the king of kings, they are called called, chosen, and faithful. The gospel of grace gives the offer he says, to whosoever, anybody. So that's the call. If you don't get that, your conscience will be called. If you don't get that, you can see the glories that there's an almighty God by looking the order of nature. You'd have to sear your conscience and open yourself to a demon to become an atheist. Or you have to keep sinning. And then demons can lie to you and cause you to believe a lie. But initially, it's not there. It's interesting. A little child, three or four years old, knows when he tells a lie. Nobody teaches him. He instinctively knows it's wrong. And see, God has put it in the nature of man. Okay, the gospel of grace is to whoever will. That means any human that hears it. So that's the call. God's calling all at some level. Those who receive the gospel of grace, they are saved, sanctified in Christ, and indwelt by his spirit. So they become the chosen. See, they're not chosen individually by predestination. That's a false gospel who distorts scripture. The predestination election is the church, the body of Christ. The branches can be cut off or grafted in accordingly. But the church is going to prevail. The hell shall not prevail against the body of Christ. If there's two people living and serving the Lord, that's the church. Okay, And it appears in the end time, even Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Will there be true Christians? Even he questioned it when he was in his human nature. But there will be a people. God will have a, a people. See, the numbers may vary, but we will see. So they're chosen. They're not chosen before the foundation of the earth. God doesn't look and say, oh, I don't like this person. They make God to be a devil. They make God to be a monster. God is good, kind, loving, and patient, and he's also just and merciful. He's not waiting for a person to sin so he can have an excuse to judge them. The Bible says he prefers mercy over judgment. That's why he's long-suffering. That's why he lets most wicked people live out their life 70, 80 years. He could judge any of them at any time, but he waits, and he lets them store up wrath, and they'll be accountable for his patience, but he gives them time to reconsider 
how they've lived and uh, what their state is. So that's the general nature of God. He's told us what it is. And so to make him otherwise, as the predestination people talk, you've made him a devil. Actually, he, he doesn't fare as well as the devil for who he is. So that's blasphemy, what they're talking about. The church, the body of Christ, is predestined to heaven. And there's going to be those who make it. And then some are going to be cut off the branches, and some are going to be grafted in according to how they follow the Lord. Some will fall away. Some will come to the Lord. But it's the same church. It's like a ship of hope. It's going to heaven. You can either stay on the ship or you can jump overboard. But the ship's going. You may not go. I've heard people say, oh, I've read the end of the book. We win. I said, you didn't win because you haven't overcome and you haven't been faithful to the Lord till the end. They sort of said, well, you don't understand. Once saved, always saved. I said, no, you can always save. Once lost, always lost. It's not true. It's a lying gospel. Every book of the Bible refutes those License the sin doctrines, excusing people, and they're deceived. God's given them over to lying spirits, and they believe a lie, and they'll be damned at the end. Okay? And so we see they're called, and then they're chosen. Now, see, God and his angels, he finally, he let them be tested. And one-third of them chose to go with Lucifer. We don't understand the testing. They didn't have an old man. We don't know how long it went on. But when they made the decision and God finished the test, they were cast down and out of heaven. And so the Bible calls the two-thirds the elect angels. Why are they elect and chosen? Because they elected to stay. And they stayed in the calling they were called. Satan said he left as Lucifer. He left his habitation. He left his appointed place, what God made him for. He corrupted his wisdom that God gave him. See, and sin was found in him then. Instead of being the light bearer, probably the greatest of creations outside of God himself, it said he was perfect in all of his ways from the day he was created until iniquity was found in him. He was called the word Lucifer, some say it means son of warning. The better translation is light bearer. He reflected much of God's glory. Then he became the prince of darkness. God stripped him of all holiness and goodness once the test was over. And now he's the devil. And one third of the angels were cast out with him. But it's not enough to be called. It's not enough to be chosen. What does he say? You have to be faithful. So those who are not faithful in their probation, we do live in probation. He that is faithful to the end shall be saved. The opposite is true. If you don't hold on to Christ and follow him to the end, you will be lost. Very simple. You'll be cut off from the vine. You'll be unsealed. You'll be disinherited. You'll be twice dead and plucked up by the roots. See, that's the danger of the person that's really known the Lord and then decides to go back into sin and the world, okay? So we see this. They receive the gospel, so they're chosen. They've accepted the call, 
and they're faithful. The ones that came with Jesus, they already fulfilled their probation. They ran to the end. They were faithful to the end through all the testings and trials and temptations. They were given the equipment, the grace, the virtue, but if they didn't use it, it failed them. Okay, see? God did not override their wills. He doesn't force a person to become a Christian, and he doesn't keep him one against his will. We have what's called the old man, the old nature, and we're capable of listening to him instead of listening to the Lord. Somehow people think, oh, well, I'm saved and my spirit's saved, and it's my soul that's, there's no separation. The soul and the spirit is what makes a human. One without the other is not true. The Bible speaks of the spirit at times and the soul of being in heaven or being in hell. They're not separated. So if your soul sins, you're a sinner. But see, you waste your time arguing with deceived people. God's given many of them over to lying spirits because they don't want the truth. What did Jesus say? Leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. We know what the ditch is. They were set, and they wanted what they wanted. And even the Apostle Paul said in the church, the body of Christ, he said, when someone starts bringing heresy and false teaching, he said, you warn them two or three times, and then you don't have nothing to do with them. You excommunicate them. You remove them from the fellowship. He said, because they're warped and they're sinning. So we need to believe what Jesus said and not think we are... He's going to hound these wicked people for 30 and 40 years who are teaching heresies and lies. Like I say, read the scripture. You don't find many people and false prophets and teachers that come back to the Lord. It's interesting because they get harder and harder. And finally, God gives up on some of them. They blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, I will not extend grace anymore. They've had enough. Okay, there we go to 17 through 20. I'm going to read the whole verses. But if you bear the name Jew and you rely upon the law, that was the law of Moses and the law of the commandments, and you brag about God, that you're his, you're a special people, and you know his will, see, you've been given the law, you approve the things that are essential, the rules, the regulations, being instructed out of the law, and you are confident, you have assurance and faith that you are a guide to the blind. You are light to the Gentiles and those who are fallen away. You are light to those who are in darkness. Under the law, you reproved wickedness. You exposed it within the body, the nation. You didn't permit it. And they have to repent and make sacrifices if they went too far in certain areas. Okay, So he's saying, you were a corrector of the foolish. You were a teacher of those who were immature, having the law and the embodiment of the knowledge of the truth. You had the truth that God was revealing. You fulfilled that requirement. And that's what God required under that covenant. Okay. And so he's telling that the Jew had covenants with God, privileges, and more truth than the Gentiles. They had law, and eventually they had other prophets and teachers, and the Gentiles as a whole did not have such. But they were held accountable and judged by God 
by a certain standard. Remember when Joshua was, was told to destroy certain of these tribes and nations, there were many of them that were wicked. And the Bible says their wickedness was full. And when Joshua went to destroy a certain tribe, God said, don't mess with them. Their sin is not full. So even the nations that had not the law, God deals with them justly. He gives them time and space. So he doesn't say, oh, they're all wicked. I'll just kill them. He doesn't work that way. And that's why Abraham said, oh, you cannot destroy the righteous with the wicked. Even Abraham knew that about God, and God confirmed it. Remember Nineveh. They were a wicked, wicked nation, and they were very wicked to Israel. But they were a horrible, immoral, wicked, warring-type people, and God decided he was going to warn them that he was going to have to destroy them. And he gave them no promise that if they repented, he wouldn't. Israel always had promises. If you repent, I'll repent. I'll hold off on the judgment, or I'll make it lesser, or after I've punished you well, I'll take you up again. The Gentiles were not given that. And the king of Nineveh and the elders, they began to think. And they knew that Jonah was a Jew, and they probably heard the story about him being vomited out of the fish, and he didn't want to come to them. They must have thought, this is supernatural. But why would this man a prophet of Israel, come to us. They hate us. So they probably caught their attention. And they reasoned among themselves and say, if we straighten up and start doing good and we'll fast, perhaps God will not judge us. They had no promise. Can you imagine that? The nations, the towns and cities that Jesus went through, he said they will do better at the day of judgment because they didn't have the extra grace and the mercy and the miracles that God wasn't obligated to give them. They were judged according to the standard of the time. But the ones that Jesus preached, he said, they'll fare better at the day of judgment than you will. He said Sodom and Gomorrah would do better. He meant that when you come into judgment, you're going to a deeper hell and a deeper punishment because you've been given a lot of grace, and they weren't. And even when Jonah complained to the Lord, after he gave his message, he went outside and sat and was still hoping God would change his mind and destroy him. He was sort of in a pathetic state, wasn't he? And you know what the Lord said to him? He said, these people, they don't know their left hand from their right hand. He meant spiritually. They don't know. He said, and, and there's many cattle, so I'm going to give them a chance. God was even interested in the cattle. Why should I destroy them? And he saw them repent in the light that they had. They fasted, and they made the animals fast. And God looked down and said, oh, they tried. I'm going to show mercy to them. None of them was not destroyed for 100 years. That whole generation was spared God's immediate judgment like Sodom got, okay? So we see that he's telling them, you who lived the law. Now, who he's talking to is the Jews favored and thought they were better than everybody else. Even when he wrote to the Romans, there was Jewish communities. But there were some Jews who converted to Christianity, and he had to correct them later. They thought they were sort of special than the Gentile Christian, and he had to straighten them out. And then he had to straighten the Gentiles out for bragging 
and thinking they were better. So he made it all work out. But now he's talking about the principle of the law. The law was just and holy. It was fulfilled. It was abolished. And so he's going to proceed to tell you Jews think you have a better covenant. You don't understand the Gentiles, which you hate, are in a better standing with God than you are. And actually, he goes to proceed later to explain to them that those who accepted Jesus Christ are the true Jew and that they are not. They're false. That they are the true Israel. And he destroyed Israel. A few years after Paul's writing these things, he abolished the Jewish system, destroyed the temple, and everything. He had enough of it. And then he dealt with the body of Christ. And all was welcome, Jew or Gentile. The Jew had no privileges. They failed and rebelled and were stiff-necked against the privileges that God had given them. He says, you're a stiff-necked and rebellious people. He wiped out, at certain times, a whole generation for their rebellion. We will find out he didn't choose them because they were special. They were special because he chose to do a work through them. They began to think they were special in themselves, and they didn't keep the law. And that was God's argument with them. So we see in verse 21 and 22, you therefore, who you, you Jews, who uphold the law and Moses and, and so forth, the rituals and the traditions, and you think you've got the whole truth. He says, you do not teach yourself. When you teach another, he's asking a question. Do you teach yourself? Well, see, he knew they didn't. They were like the Pharisees as a whole. They would teach some law and pervert the rest and live wicked inwardly. They were greedy and covetous and liars, many of them. And they thought, oh, we're special. And they looked down on the common people. And they thought the Gentiles were dogs. Well, Paul is sort of straightening them out now, isn't he? So he says, you preach that one should not steal. So that's one of the commandments. Do you steal? And many of them would have said, oh, yes. Verse 22, you may say that one should not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Well, many of the Pharisees and some of the priests, they did commit adultery. And they were hypocrites in what they did. Okay. Do you commit adultery? That's what he's asking them. You who hate idols, do you rob temples? It was common sometimes in certain areas for the Jew to rob the heathen temples, and they thought it was just. It wasn't. You never find any of the apostles or Jesus going into a pagan temple. They had nothing to do with them. They preached in the highways and the byways. They did not go up and disrupt those who chose to worship demons. And that's what Paul said, they were demons. But see, they thought they could use an excuse to rob. They're still a robber. It was like the Catholics and Protestants in the 16th, 17th century. They burned each other. They burned each other. They tortured each other, trying to convert them. Foolish. They're in hell now. They're wicked. They're false Christians. They thought, oh, well, and see, there are many of the ones who say, well, Lord, didn't I do this, didn't I do that? And he's going to say, he's not even going to acknowledge them as ever being his. They were murderers. They were thieves. They were crooked. They were hypocrites. While most of the popes had bastard children, and they didn't even live the law of righteousness of the gospel. 
They were fornicators and thieves and greedy. The Protestants weren't much better. Some of them were just as bad, okay? So these were people who called themselves Christians. So now we have these people who think they're special because they're Jews. And so he says, you teach others, do you teach yourself? Do you observe what you teach? So many proclaim the gospel. They teach the word, yet they live sinful, self-seeking lives. They're really of the world. Most of the ministers and teachers in our denominations are children of the devil. They're not proclaiming the true gospel. It's all false, most of it. They teach a little mental ascent, then they mix some new age in it, and then they pervert God's nature. Oh, God understands, and his blood covers everything. They're going to find out how wrong they were at the day of judgment. So we see then, he expected the preachers and teachers to be an example of righteousness to other people. He expected the elders to be morally upright. And see, when a person failed, Paul said, you that are spiritual, you teachers that help one, and be careful, lest you fall, Lord, you see. Don't think you're better and more spiritual. You'll be humble and say, this could happen to me if I don't keep staying with the Lord. You don't get arrogant. Even Paul said, you think you can standing as a mature Christian? He says, you're in danger of falling because you have spiritual pride. You may have already fallen, been deceived, and don't know it. See, that's what happens to people who don't stay close to the Lord and be led of his spirit. So James, we hear often, like he said, not many of you should be teachers. Remember, that was immediately after he was correcting them for teaching that you could have faith and Christianity without no spiritual works. He called them liars and fools. And he said their faith was vain, it was dead. See, so many people claim to be Christian, but they're not. Let's go ahead and take a break here.